program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. Spoilers will happen this episode. There's your warning. That's the disclaimer from Podcast Zero and your host, Upside Down Paul. Yes, there will be spoilers. So, if you have not watched... Stranger Things Season 4, Volume 1, which is the first seven episodes of the nine-episode series, or season, I should say, and you don't want to be spoiled, stop it now. Of course, you shouldn't have even started it because the way podcasts work, you see the little banners, you see what the titles are, you should already know. So, I honestly, we live in a world where I have to do this because some people just don't know how to think. I'd like to assume my audience does know how to think, probably a lot better than me at that. But anyways, that's a side side note. I feel, spoilers, <laughs> I feel kind of like Robin when she's talking to Nancy uh, about how, like, you know, is it Nancy or is it Steve? No, it's, I think she's when she's talking to Steve and she talks about how she keeps talking because... Her brain keeps going and her mouth keeps going, but which goes first? She's not really sure if it's her mouth goes first or her brain goes first, but she can't stop talking. That's me. And to be completely honest here, I've now restarted, <laughs> retried doing this episode probably about a good dozen times because of that exact problem. I keep feeling like the episode just starts off all wrong and I'm like, scrap it. And I stop it, and then I start over again. I'm not doing that anymore. So you get what you get, okay? I'm basically your Robin for the show. Um, No. This is just... I want to put this out there. I want to talk about Stranger Things Season 4, Volume 1. We should just call it Season 4. Because the last two episodes are movie length anyways. Uh, the last episode is, what, uh, two and a half hours long? These are movies that we're getting next, kids. These aren't episodes. <laughs> it's like, we got season four, and then we're going to get two movies. Um, but anyways, yeah, I want to talk about it. So season four, the way I kind of approached this whole thing, I've got notes about everything. I've got uh, notes about the stories, the characters, the music, the nods, all that sort of shit. Anyways. Season four for me was like the mashup season of like Nightmare on Elm Street, Hellraiser, X-Files, Daryl, 
movie from 1985 that a lot of people don't really know. But anyways, it's there. Uh, Teen Wolf. There's definitely some Teen Wolf vibes in this. And Firestarter. I kind of get all of that from this season. Specifically Nightmare on Elm Street, obviously. As I talk more about it, you'll understand. You have probably already watched this so you already understand anyways but moving on um so i kind of broke it down like the way I, I i took this whole season it's funny there's it's season four and i feel like there's four stories going on simultaneously throughout i mean there's a lot of little subplots and all this other shit too but i mean you have what i call the california story which basically involves jonathan will argyle uh mike who's visiting from hawkins we have 11 for a bit. Uh, Joyce starts off in California. Um, and then you have Angela and her bully friends and whatnot. That's sort of like the California story. And then you got the Hawkins story, which is like the Victor and Henry Creel story. With You, you got Max, you got Nancy, Steve, Robin, the Hellfire Club, Dustin Lucas, the basketball team, um, Christy Cunningham. Uh, obviously the Victor Creel thing, which that's a very important part of the whole shebang for season four. You have Elle's story. Her story sort of goes off on its own tangent as well, um, which brings in uh, Owens, Paul Reiser's character. He comes back. Uh, Brenner. Uh, there's the history of the children. Now, we, now we're getting more of these children. We're getting number 10, number, well, we had 11. Uh, there's 10, there's 3, there's 2, there's 5, and oof, there's mention of number 1. Ooh, interesting. Um, and then we have the, the whole Alaska-Russia story, which is Joyce and Murray. I mean, okay, they start off in California, but they make their way to Alaska to find Yuri. Yuri, who's going to take them to Russia to save Hopper, who is with Enzo, a.k.a. Dimitri. Um, so it was like we had like a lot going on all in different spots, right? And then, of course, uh, season four, I mean, we have all the regulars returning, but then there's some really cool new characters as well. I, probably one of my favorites, and it seems like at first we don't get a lot of him, but he came, he comes in strong in the second half of it is Eddie Munson, which I thought it was kind of cute and clever how when we first meet him, you hear in the background the song, I Was a Teenage Werewolf, playing by the Cramps. That's in the background. And I find it's kind of like a nod to the Munsters because when he first said his name was Eddie Munson, like when we first find that out, I kept thinking Eddie Munster. So it was kind of cool. And I mean, he, he yes, it's been pointed out in, you know, different articles I've read and whatnot. He's definitely channeling like Robert Downey Jr. in Weird Science. But I also get sort of a Mark Price vibe from you know 1986 trick or treat which i've talked about that movie on this show and i got a little bit of that as well sort of like the heavy metal you know outcast kind of the nerd and stuff like that so it was like i got a bit of that i got a bit of the robert downey jr vibe i mean and both movie well weird science i'm pretty sure weird science was 1985 it might have been 86 but trick or treat was 86 i know that and you got to keep in mind Season 4 takes place in 1986, so I thought, yeah, I see a bit of the trick-or-treat vibe going on here. Uh, we've got Argyle, who is basically the Suicidal Tendencies-esque stoner, who's also a pizza delivery guy, and he's Jonathan's weed buddy. Um, he's a trip. 
I especially love the scene when he meets uh, that girl Eden and he's like, like the garden. And I'm like, oh my God, dude, you're killing me. Um, every time he talked, he was just so funny to watch. The girl who plays Angela, and I'm also going to admit right now, I don't have every actor's names and whatnot here, okay? So I may miss a few, but the girl who played Angela, really good. I hated her. <laughs> That's how good she was. Uh, the, the whole bully trope thing, which I've talked about recently on here, how I don't actually like that in movies. Uh, you know, last night in Soho have it, had it in the new rush... Uh, Russia. The new Firestarter had it. Um, I don't know why I said Russia. Don't don't even ask me. Uh, <laughs> uh, part of me is still in Russia. I think it's because my next character is from Russia. But anyways, um, she's really she really helps drive the story, um, and she also like I, I like that she's kind of like the parallel to the flashbacks as well like what's going on in 1986 with Angela is also reminiscent of what Elle went through when she was in the Hawkins lab so I like how there's that that parallel from you know a lack of better words which is kind of funny because the whole upside down is a parallel of the real world in this you know Stranger Things universe so it's again it's all about parallels and I like how they did that uh because of, I said Russia, Yuri. Um, uh, yeah, so Yuri is like that. Right? He's the Russian pilot who's going to take Joyce and Murray to Russia. And, you know, 4000 no, $40,000. $40, you know, give it to Yuri. This is, they find this out through the phone call with Enzo, which we find out later is Dimitri. But anyways, uh, Give him forty thousand dollars. He'll say he'll bring you to Russia, and you can save Hopper. Um, he obviously double crosses them, which kind of bothers me that Murray didn't catch on to that. But whatever, it is what it is. But Yuri is great for comic relief, and Jeff Peanut Butter <laughs> love that. I love how and when they get to his base, he's like, "Someone's been eating my Jeff Peanut Butter," and it's like it was Hopper. But anyways, yeah. Um, and then I mentioned Dimitri. AKA Enzo. Uh, is it Enzo or Endo? It could be. No, I think it's Enzo's because they, Joyce and Hopper were supposed to have that date at Enzo's right before, you know, they blew up the whole thing at the end of season three and whatnot. And we thought Hopper died, which we found out he didn't die. We, most of us kind of realized that because didn't see a body. He's not dead. But, anyways, <laughs> uh, Dimitri is the Russian prison guard who is trying to help Hop leave the Russian prison camp. Gets caught. Now he has to team up with Hop to fight off a Demogorgon. It was nice to see the Demogorgon return again. Um,. You know, and keep Hop alive while they wait for Joyce and Murray to show up who are having their own little fun time. I love when Murray is pretending to be Yuri and the whole idea that Murray and Yuri rhyme and everything. It, it, it's just funny little things that go on. One of the really cool new characters, Victor Creel. Yes, played by Robert Englund. And you know, it was kind of funny because I remember way back when he was cast to be in Stranger Things 4 that I was like kind of intrigued. I was like, oh, this is awesome. He's going to be in it. And then I totally forgot he was in it. So it was like when I'm watching it and I see him pop up in episode four, I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot he got fucking cast for this fucking thing. So that was really cool. Um, interesting how 
in a season that is very nightmare on Elm Street influence, you know, heavily influenced. Uh, he's, you know, this time he's not playing the man in the dreams, you know, the, but instead he's playing the man who was framed for a murder he didn't commit, sitting in Penhurst, basically rotting away, which I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit, but Silence of the Lambs, baby. Woo-hoo. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but I love that they got him to come into this season, a season where one of the biggest stories of the whole, you know, chapter, because I did season four is basically a huge chapter. Um, you know, we have this villain that is going after kids in their nightmares and, you know, bringing in Robert Englund, it, it it was awesome. It's such a great cameo. Probably one of the top cameos I've seen in this show since this whole thing has started. Uh, like It was absolutely awesome to watch. And of course, then we have Henry Creel. A.K.A. Peter. A.K.A. Vecna. A.K.A. Number One. Yeah, played perfectly, I might add, by Jamie Campbell Boy, uh, Bo- Bauer? Bauer? Is it Bauer or Boyer? Bauer. Wow, I'm really fucking up this episode. I, I, like I said, I, I just put down quick notes. I didn't actually research hardly anything. <laughs> so it's like there's not a whole lot of um, actual work that went into this episode. This is just me talking. Um, so, But yeah, Jamie Campbell Bauer, I believe is his name. I don't think it's Boyer. I think I don't know where I got Boyer from. Anyways, um, he's been in movies like Sweeney Todd and the Twilight series, he was in like what three of them or two of them or something like that. He's been in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, uh, Mortal Instruments, Fantastic Beasts. This is a, he's a well-known actor and he's awesome in this. He plays it so well, and the fact that he's playing, well, technically, well, yeah, he's playing four characters technically. I mean, the the younger version of Henry is a different actor, obviously, but he's basically playing. Four characters in this. Sort of, give or take. You know what I mean? Like, pretty much we see him as Peter and we see him as Vecna. Uh, but, you know, he's obviously playing four different roles and does a very good job with it. And I, I actually have a lot that I wrote about the monster. So I'm going to get to that in a bit. I also want to point out that there was um, awesome returning characters who make this show all worthwhile because, yes, the new characters really highlighted a lot but and made it fun, obviously, but there were some returning characters that, I mean, Dusty Buns, Dustin, <laughs> I love how... Um, like they, the Dusty Buns thing comes up quite a bit, and it's kind of funny. I mean, and then Susie, Susie does make a return. Thank God for that. Uh, she was so awesome in the uh, season three finale. Uh, I was glad to see her come back. Murray, I've already talked about. I think it's awesome that he's back. Uh, Steve and Robin, not as much uh, pairing them up this time around. Uh, a lot of that was uh, Nancy and Robin this time around, which. I got to say, you know, Maya Hawk as an actress, um, and but the character of Robin, she works well with pretty much everyone. 
I've noticed that no matter who she's paired up with, it works. Whether she's paired up with Dustin, whether she's paired up with Steve. In this season, we see a lot of her and Nancy. And at first, they seem like they're, like, you know, jarring personalities, you know. and But they make it work. Like, she's got a very good talent for putting on the screen, like, a very natural approach. And totally fun to watch. And then, of course, there's Erica. Can't have America without Erica. Holy fuck. <laughs> When they brought her in for the D&D game, I was in heaven. I, I love this girl. I think Erica is probably one of the greatest additions to this show. When they brought her in and then slowly built her character up, now every time she's on the screen, I just fucking love it. I'm like, I need more of that. One of the returning characters that I definitely do want to talk about just ever so briefly is obviously Max. Um... She deserves awards, and I've seen actually several people say this online. Um, I I cannot disagree with that. Sadie Sink fucking nails it this season. I absolutely love everything that came out of her in this set in these seven episodes. Like I said, I know we have two coming up. Um, Fucking amazing. This is this is an actress. Sadie Sink, I can see right now, is going to have a wonderful career. Uh, w- between Stranger Things and Fear Street, these are both two properties that I can't say enough good things about her. She definitely has great acting ability. And fuck, she, I, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> For a moment there, okay, I, I mean, in my gut, I'm thinking they won't kill Max off, but... She sold it, and there was a time where I was like, are they actually going to do it? Are they really going to kill her off? And then they didn't, which I'm glad. I'm glad they didn't kill her off because it would have sucked for the next three episodes to be like, man, we lost both Billy and Max. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) It would have sucked large. And then, I mean, okay, so... Take going on with my notes here. Um, the monster. So the monster. We definitely got to talk about the monster because in every season there's been that quote unquote big bad. We we always hear this term, the big bad, whatever. Well, in this one, it's the monster. It's Vecna. It's Henry Creel. It's Peter. It's number one. I love how all all of them are one in the same, and it was done in such a slow reveal that I loved it. Um. I'm the kind of person that I sort of pay attention to details, so I'm not going to lie. I started connecting the dots probably around episode three, but I wasn't convinced of everything I was seeing yet. I was kind of like, okay, you know, they first off, they, I think it's episode three is the first time we hear mention of number one. So I was like, okay, well, we aren't seeing number one. Um, there's another number that doesn't show up in this season. I'll talk about that in a minute. But anyways, when they started mentioning about number one, I was like, hmm, okay, but who is number one? And then we had this Peter character that all of a sudden was becoming important. And I'm like, I didn't put the connection together yet that he was number one. Um, just because of the whole inhibitor chip thing was, I didn't know that was coming at first. There was a moment, and I think it was in episode Five, I want to say, where I noticed Vecna said something. I can't even remember the exact quote. Again, this is one of those things where I want to go back and rewatch this season a couple times. He made some quote, and then 
Peter made a quote similar to it or something to that effect. And I noticed the dialect was the same. And I was like, could it be? I wasn't completely convinced, obviously, until episode six, which I think is probably the episode most people figured it out. I know there's some people, and I even had a couple of friends of mine say that, you know, episode seven completely took them by surprise. And I was like, really? Like, I loved the reveal of it. (laughs) I thought it was totally awesome and very well thought out. Um, I'm not going to lie. I know everybody was all up in arms over the last couple of years with the cough, cough and everything. I think the pandemic actually did this show a bit of a favor because I know the Duffer brothers did say during the pandemic, they, you know, went back and sort of tweaked some things and whatnot. I think that was actually a really good thing in this show's favor because, you know, technically we were supposed to get this season two years ago and it didn't happen. Um, because there was a six-month uh, layoff, uh, uh, like a break, an interval, lockdown, whatever you want to call it. Six months of not filming, and then they went back to it, but they were, they did some rewrites and stuff like that, and I think that that's awesome. Um, so, I mean, the whole story with Vecna and Peter and Henry and number one, maybe that was something they already had planned. I know after season one, they had said they had five seasons planned out and, you know, vaguely planned out maybe this is something they tweaked and i'm glad they did who knows um but yeah uh it it was just episode six i think is where i pretty much had it figured out you know who he was how he got there you know to the upside down and stuff like that speaking of the upside down and i think about it what's the deal with that so that was something that had a nice little reveal on its own i know this is aside from the monster story Part, but November 6, 1983. It's weird that I, I instantly remembered the date. <laughs> I haven't forgotten it. Um, but Nancy's house, when they're in the Upside Down, you know, Nancy's house is stuck on that date when they go to her house to get the guns. You know, this is, of course, during the part. Um, who is it there? You got Robin, Dustin, Nancy, Erica, Eddie. Who's the other one? Shit. Lucas. Lucas. Because, yeah, yeah, because Lucas and Erica and Dustin are the ones that are in the real world that have to go to, what is it, uh, Eddie's trailer to open up the portal, like the gate, so that, anyways, yeah, um, because Nancy, um, Nancy, Steve, Eddie, and Robin are stuck in the upside down, and anyways, so yeah, that's what, there's that whole story, anyways. I know I wow I'm all over the place on this one but it's when Nancy and the the other three go to her house to get the guns they want to be able to fight off Vecna in the upside down and she looks in her diary because she's like where are the guns instead she's got a box with shoes in it and she looks in her diary and sees that the last date put in her her diary was November 6 1983 so that raises a whole bunch of questions because now uh, is the upside down, is that the date it's stuck in? Like maybe the upside down time moves differently or maybe that's, you know, because maybe that's the date that L sent number one to the upside down, you know, cracked into that alternate plane of reality. And maybe ever since then, 
that's where the upside down is stuck is in that one day. It could be a continuous 24 hour loop. Maybe time just stands still. It doesn't move at all. Or are we implementing time travel into the equation? You know, maybe when we cross into the upside down, it actually takes us back in time, not forward. But the thing is, is that sort of doesn't make sense because then explain the light bright scene or even as early as season one when Will was doing with the Christmas lights thing, talking to his mom. Like, so I don't think that time travel is a thing, but it's weird how that, like that specific moment Maybe it's Vecna just playing with time, you know, or he's an illusionist. He likes to play with people's minds. So maybe he's putting the illusion out there that they're in another time frame than they actually are. A lot of questions get raised. Another question, something to think about. I mentioned a character is missing. Where is number eight? Callie from season two, you know, everyone's favorite episode that half the world bitched about. I'm sitting there going, it wasn't that bad, guys. But anyways, um... I mean, okay, so I was thinking about that because the interesting thing to note when it comes to Callie is if I remember correctly, and it almost made me want to go back and rewatch that episode now, but I'm pretty sure the first time that we met her, one of her victims or like the first person she fucks with, like their head and whatnot, she made them see spiders. We know that Henry has a thing about spiders. As a matter of fact, in the Upside Down world, the reason why I get a... a, 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 a the Hellraiser bit that I get from, you know, this whole, because uh, I said at the beginning, you know, it's like Nightmare on Elm Street and Hellraiser sort of, you know, mashup and whatnot. I kind of think of Vecna, like his tentacles, like I know he's got a thing about spiders, but I also think about Dr. Shenard. I don't know. It, it's something that I kind of think about. Those of you that have seen Hellraiser 2 know what I'm talking about. Um, but Vecna is fascinated with spiders. Um, and then there's, there's so much that the whole number eight really fucks with me because I keep thinking there's more to that character because we know Peter informed L that Brenner was lying about his mother, which we know that from season two, we found that out in season two that she found out that her mother was still alive and her mother went to go rescue her. So now there's questions about number eight. Was number eight real? Or was that Vecna making Elle think she saw someone that wasn't there? But I'm not so sure that that's a story. Because in the flashbacks, like, okay, when they show all the different kids lined up, eight's not there. But when did Elle's mother try to rescue her from Brenner? It might have been before the massacre at Hawkins Lab. So I'm thinking possibly eight already had escaped by the time we get to the massacre of Hawkins lab. So maybe the memories that she's having in the flashback scenes for this season, eight is already gone. We do see that like they show her, uh, they show L when she's playing in the, in the rainbow room, she's still playing with the little girl who was eight, but that's all we see of eight. And I keep thinking there's gotta be more with this. There's I think eight had already escaped. This is how I, this is at least how I'm breaking it down in my head. I think she had already escaped. I think we that's why we were introduced to her in season two to learn the the history of Jane's mother or Eleven's mother, whatever. Um, 
And here's another thing too. It could have been Peter who helped eight escape because we find out that when he's talking with Eleven and he's telling her how she can escape through that, you know, there's that entrance, the, the, the tunnel in the boiler room or well, boiler room area, whatever. Um, at the, at that time when we had the reveal that he had the inhibitor chip and he told, you know, L removed his inhibitor chip. And then all of a sudden that's when, you know, we find out, Oh, Hey, he's number one and all this shit. Anyways, maybe he helped eight escape. And he had already done that, so that's why he knew about that escape route. There's that possibility as well. So, again, does Callie still show up later? I'm wondering, will it be that she's either with Vecna on his side of the argument or, you know, like working with him or for him or whatever? Or will she team up with L? So now that we have two superpowered, you know, beings fighting off Vecna, or will that come in season five? Which, yes, I know some people thought this was the final season. Nope. The Duffers did say they have season five coming. Season five may be where we see the team up of the two girls with the superpowers. Who knows? Um, With all this built up, it's obviously leading to a great conclusion for season four when we get the final two episodes on July 1st, which is Canada Day. So, yeah. Yay, Canada. Uh, But, um... I, I know, and I, I don't even know that I consider them final episodes because they both both are basically movies. I, I think uh, what... So, if I remember correctly, episode 8 is like an hour and 45 minutes long, and then episode 9 is two and a half hours long. Um, by the way, just saying, you know, I, people complained when Zack Snyder's Justice League came out, and it was like, it was four hours long. It's so long. These are probably the same people who blitzed Stranger Things 4 in one sitting. Just saying. I don't know. I also want to talk about the music. I've got to stop being a sarcastic prick sometimes. The music. Okay, so as with all Stranger Things episodes and seasons, music plays a huge part. Again, it does in this season. Kate Bush is running up that hill, is having quite the resurgence lately, thanks to Stranger Things. And what a great song to use for Max's favorite song. Spoilers. It's what saves Max's life. Um... I don't know why I said spoilers. <laughs> if you're listening this far, fuck, I've ruined a lot for you already. But anyways, uh, in my scattered brain kind of way, I know I'm I, even with notes, I'm still scattered. It's fucking hilarious. But uh, I, so I don't know how many of you have seen the video for running up that hill by Kate Bush. Um, it kind of bothered me actually reading certain media reports where people like, we're like kind of saying how Kate Bush wasn't that popular is like, well, I I don't know about you, but I kind of remember that song from the (laughs) eighties might also help that a few bands that I listened to did covers of it later on. But anyways, the video for running up that hill, especially near the end part of the video, I think it's like after the four minute mark in the video or whatever, we see multiple, like it's supposed to be Kate Bush's. It's like people wearing like Kate's face, uh, sort of like a paper mask or something like that. Anyways, they're walking through this corridor and the surrounding environment is like deep red with black shadows and stuff like that, looking a lot like the upside down. And then of course in episode four, when Max is trapped and she's trying to find a way to escape Vecna and she's, she's running towards the opening, 
which would bring her back into the real world. You know what she's following the song. Basically um, it looks pretty much like that where it's like, she's quote unquote running up that hill to get out of the upside down. And it's red all around her surrounded by, you know, black shadows and stuff like that. So it was a nice little nod to the original video um, of running up that hill, which also I did kind of find it interesting that, uh, within temptation, uh, they redid, they, um, well covered the song in 2003 and the cover for their single has Sharon Denadel. She's all decked out in red. She's got a red dress on and stuff like that. And around her is red and dark shadows. Now it also on the cover, she sort of has like angel wings that are attached to her and stuff like that. But again, even the cover of that single seems very similar to the upside down when Max is, you know, running from Vecna and whatnot. So, I mean, whether or not that was intentional as well, probably not. I think they're more making a nod to Kate Bush than anything else, but I did find that kind of interesting. Um, and I mean, on top of, having obviously the the big you know song in this being kate bush's running up that hill we had songs from dead or alive talking heads kiss falco baltimore musical youth uh the beach boys the safaris and the cramps which this show gets a bonus point for including fever and for those of you who remember there's a little movie called Near Dark, and the Cramps Fever is a song that was used in that movie when Bill Paxton's character goes on his little tear in the bar scene. Um, so naturally, I'm sitting here going, wow, like you have the Cramps, so there's a nice little 80s nod. On top of the fact that you, it's almost like a nod to Near Dark as well, and I was like, yeah, I'm on board with that. Um and I mean, let's talk about the eggs. Let's talk about the nods, the pop culture references, the name drops and all that sort of shit. I mean, this season relies heavily on Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, definitely. This is the, I, I've seen people basically say, this is the Nightmare on Elm Street remake we didn't expect we were getting and we got. Um, and I mean, even like when you look at Chrissy Cunningham's death in the very beginning, you know, in what, episode one, you know, uh, Eddie Munson, the way he witnesses her death is very similar to when Rod and Tina are in the bedroom and Tina gets killed by Freddie. You know, uh, she's elevated up to the ceiling. She's being mutilated and torn apart in this. I mean, we see the bones crack and the face go all weird. The eyes disappear. And then you have Eddie Munson, who's kind of like the Rod character that's like screaming out, you know, stop, stop. And then all of a sudden the body drops in front of him, blood spatters in his face and whatnot. Very much like a Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, and I mean, like I mentioned, Robert Englund having a cameo role in a show about a villain haunting kids and their nightmares. And if they die in the dream, they die in real life. That's basically what's happening in this. Uh, the Hellraiser references. I mean, the Upside Down is basically like the Labyrinth in Hellraiser, especially um, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. We see the Labyrinth. Ah, obviously, they look different, but especially when there's the scene where, like, Max, it's almost like she's inside Vecna's mind and whatnot, and it seems very Labyrinth-esque, uh, more or less. You know what I mean? Um, 
And then Beckner himself is kind of like Freddy Krueger in a little way. He's like the Jin from Wishmaster as well. But I also, I also sense a Cenobite vibe to him. Like we know he, as we find out, obviously he's number one. He's, you know, he's Henry. But in the Upside Down, he's a distorted version of himself. You know, he's had body modification and whatnot. A lot like Pinhead and the other Cin- Cinnabites. Cenobites. How in the labyrinth in the in the the world beyond our world they their bodies were modified well it's the same with him i also kind of get an uncle frank sort of feel for him like the way his face is done up and whatnot um i see the pinhead resemblance i know a lot of people are really they're making a lot of references to that i still say i get a dr chenard vibe from him as well uh, which is something I haven't seen floating around online that much uh, in terms of when people are talking about the Hellraiser vibe. But it's the tentacle, you know what I mean? Dr. Shenard has that tentacle that attaches to his head and it helps him move around. And when we see Vecna in the Upside Down, he's got the eight tentacles, which, I mean, spider-like and whatnot. But it helps him to move around and get his energy and whatnot. So I kind of get that. And then, I mean, obviously, Dustin makes his direct comment about Freddy Krueger. So there's that nod that's right in our face. Can't miss that one. Uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. (laughs) I love how it gets its nod. Everybody knows when back in the day when you rented VHS tapes, you always knew what scenes got played over the most because the quality of the screen would deteriorate. There'd be lines through it. It would jump, whatever. 53 minutes, 9 seconds. A lot of people know that time in that movie. Uh, Phoebe Cates must be so happy that she's been referenced in both season 3 and season 4 now. Um, Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of sites that are commenting about, okay, so the posters that get brought up in this movie, specifically the Evil Dead and the Thing posters, but those were seen in previous seasons. Uh, what? The Evil Dead poster was in uh, the basement of uh, uh, the, the um, not the buyer's house. Um, yeah, in the buyer's basement. It was in uh, when they when we saw it in season one when they're playing D and D and the Evil Dead posters in the basement, and then. Or is it no? The thing poster was in the basement. Evil Dead poster was in Jonathan's bedroom. And again, now in the new home, same thing. Um, so I kind of don't count those. This is more or less where I was going with that. Got all confused as to where they were. Um, but one thing I am going to bring up about that, though, I just for a moment here, because a lot of people have made this comment online about, oh, the thing poster wouldn't have been on their walls because audiences hated the movie. Can we please keep in mind that these kids in this show are anything but normal? These are your misfits, the outcasts, the unpopular kids. Them finding joy in a movie that most others hated would absolutely make sense. I know from my own personal experiences growing up as a kid, I liked Halloween 3 when most people didn't. I liked Nightmare on Elm Street 2 when most people didn't. I liked The Thing when most people didn't. Um, In terms of music, I was the kid in grade school that was listening to Depeche Mode and Skinny Puppy. And 
Maybe this wasn't everywhere. Maybe this was a Windsor thing. I don't know. But Depeche Mode in the 80s, if you were a guy and you listened to Depeche Mode, you got labeled that certain G word. You know, the, the word that now is very well accepted, but back in the days, if you said it, it was actually very derogatory. That word, yeah. Um, the word that keeps floating around about will. I don't want to get into that because I don't know where they're going with that yet, but there's a lot of speculation online. Is Will Byers gay or not? Um, anyways, yes, growing up as a kid, I got called gay a lot because I liked Depeche Mode and they were a gay band. That was an 80s thing. Now, obviously, here we are today in 2022. We just lost Andrew Fletcher and half the world fucking cried with me on that one. Um Depeche Mode are obviously a very well-respected band, but back then it was a different thing. So more or less where I'm going with this is the idea of the buyers kids having a thing poster on their walls would actually make sense. These kids are used to be will will no Mike says it himself. He understands being bullied. He's been bullied his whole life. He's an outcast. It would make sense. Not to mention there's the obvious homage to Carpenter films, which the Duffers have pulled a lot from Carpenter or made nods to him. So the poster makes sense is what all I'm basically getting at. Uh, I like the little egg that was at the phone booth where it said E.T. phone home. That was fucking hilarious. Um, the Tom Cruise poster that gets mentioned. Interestingly enough, Top Gun came out in 1986. And here we are in 2022 with Top Gun Maverick that just came out. So I don't know if the Tom Cruise poster was their nod to Top Gun. I feel like it was almost a missed opportunity to not have a very specific Top Gun nod. Maybe a mention of the danger zone or have the kids say, I feel the need, the need for speed. Please no volleyball scenes. I don't need that. <laughs> oh, we'll avoid that. Um, the thing is, is that we still technically have two episodes left for the season, so a Top Gun-specific nod could still happen. Uh, the Han Solo quote was amusing. You know, the whole never tell me the odds coming from Dustin. That's perfect. The Hellfire Club, that was a great nod to the Uncanny X-Men comics. Though for me, it was kind of weird because I didn't make that connection at first. My brain went straight to the satanic music group, the Electric Hellfire Club, who do a wonderful cover of Shout of the Devil by Motley Crue, which came out in the 80s. So that was where my brain went. I know I, I saw a lot of articles where people were talking about the Uncanny X-Men or the Hellfire Club and whatnot uh, from the Avengers, the British show and whatnot. So, I mean, I saw a lot of that, but... For me, it was like I went straight to Electric Hellfire Club, Shout of the Devil, Motley Crue, and that's how it worked for me. Um, and speaking of metal and all that fun stuff, we do have Eddie Munson, who has a nice Dio backpatch on his denim vest. Dio, who was inspired at times by Dungeons & Dragons, obviously D&D, a huge part of the Stranger Things lore. It's what the whole Hellfire Club is all about. And I will also mention that, yes, I thought it was amusing that they were bringing into this about, you know, the the whole D&D &D being a satanic occult thing and whatnot. Yeah, that we remember that. The Ozzy Osbourne, the bad incident, you know, Ozzy Osbourne himself was a victim of being called satanic. Um, whatever. 
<laughs> the 80s was a fun time, wasn't it? Uh, I, I mentioned about the Silence of the Lambs nod. Holy shit, was that awesome when Nancy and Robin are going to talk to Victor Creel about the death Deaths that took place in his house in the late 50s. The look of the hallway. The the interrogators being female. Questioning a sort of Hannibal Lecter-esque character who's been locked up. Um, I thought it was kind of cool. You know, maybe it was just my brain working in its own way. But the idea that Victor has no eyes. Yet in Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal Lecter has like that insight or knowledge that helps Clarice Starling with her case. So I thought that was kind of cool. Again, maybe it was something that was completely unintentional, but I took it that, you know, Hannibal Lecter was like the one with all the sight. And here we had Victor Creel has no eyes. And I was like, oh, that was interesting. It actually kind of, the whole scene gave me goosebumps right from the second they enter the hallway and, you know, the prison guard is walking them down and what I was like, oh my fucking God, this is Silence of the Fucking Lambs. Like, I was like, I was like, I had goosebumps. The fucking hair on my arms was standing on its end. It was just awesome. Another movie reference, obviously, the idea of Carrie. You know, uh, the bullies, you know, that set off Elle's powers, both in the flashbacks and the girls from school, obviously. Although the girls in school, she hasn't, she doesn't have her powers, so she does that whole, and reaches out her hand, and the girls are all laughing at her. Which, again... As much as I hated the character of Angela, kudos to the actress. She fucking nailed that role. Um, but yeah, so it was very Carrie-esque. Um, you know, War Games is tapped for an egg. Uh, when the kids are wondering if the Nina project is like Joshua. thought that was cool. Obviously, Thundercats being mentioned. That was cool. Basket Case being seen in the family video store. And there's that family video hello um (laughs) we recently just had what was it a year ago a year and a half ago the one in windsor finally closed its doors and that was upsetting but whatever it is what it is uh as usual i mean stranger things does good on their 80s pop culture and horror references final thoughts because and i know i i probably missed some shit I know I, 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 this was my brain going scatter mode. And if you've kept up and you kind of know what I've been talking about all this episode, kudos on you. Cause I tend to be very scatterbrained, but these are my final thoughts on my initial first watching of this season. Of course, I will be watching it several more times, but It was well thought out. I thought the pacing was great. Some really great performances, especially from Sadie Sink. Um, If she does not win awards, either for this or in her future, I feel it's definitely robbery because she is a great actress and definitely one of the highlights of season four. I love our villain, Vecna. I love how... Even at that, the whole flashback story of Eleven and Brenner and Owens and everything that wrapped around that storyline that I kind of haven't talked a whole lot about, but it basically flips the first three seasons on their heads now. Like, not only do I want to rewatch season four, but I kind of want to rewatch all four seasons now knowing what I know. And again, where does eight play into all this? Was she simply there for the development of Eleven in Season 2, or is there more? Because, and 10, 
10 using the magic eight ball. He was the one that answered all signs point to yes with the magic eight ball. When Brenner asked him if he wanted to go do another training exercise and whatnot, did 10 die? I mean, I know that when we saw Brenner, he's beaten up and whatnot. He's got some blood on his face, but does that mean that one killed 10 or is 10 still alive? I'm not sure on that. That's something I want to go back and rewatch and see what happened to 10. Um, I mean, right now, as, as it stands, like I said, I will rewatch this again. But as it stands, I mean, we got a winner, kids. <laughs> this was a great season. It's a great addition to a show that hasn't had a bad season yet. I mean, in my opinion, two is the weakest of the seasons. But I still enjoy season two a lot. So by calling it the weakest, I mean, it's still about an 8, 8.5 out of 10. So keep that all in perspective. I might, two for me was the season that I kind of got annoyed with Mike's character. But if I think of it as a kid at that age, I get it. I just found he was very annoying that season. But that, it was also normal. So, I mean, it's tough to say. Um. I don't know. It's season four. I don't know where I rank them right now. I mean, one and three have kind of really had a special place in my heart. I think, I think I still say season one is my favorite just because it's that whole, that first feeling I got when I was first introduced to these characters in this world. And the fact that eight episodes went by so fast and I just wanted more. And that's one thing I got to say about Stranger Things. With the ending of every season, I've still wanted more. I really hope that at the end of season five, I do feel like we've we've hit our, our story arc and that it is full, it's complete. I know I'll probably still want more, but I hope that the story feels complete in its finality, like in, in its finale and its final moments and whatnot. That's what I'm hoping for. I know that the Duffers have said they really want to make sure that they make season five, the, the satisfactory conclusion. So I'm really, really looking forward for that. Uh, I, I mean, we still have two episodes of season four left. So, and season five probably won't come for at least another year. So we'll be waiting a bit. I know they did say that we won't be waiting as long this time. So that's, definitely a good thing um i do want to thank you for listening to this review if you've gotten this far that's awesome thank you so much i know it seems like i've just been ranting about this and ranting and raving about that and whatnot uh and like i said (laughs) my sporadic brain waves like which is interesting because i wrote notes to try and keep it in order and it still didn't seem like it was kept in order it's like did i do a good job with that did i i don't know but um and like I said, I know there's things I missed. I know there's there's characters I probably didn't talk about. There's This is a review from a first-time viewing. Um, and not to mention a first-time viewing that I watched right after getting done work. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, it, not a chore. Definitely not a chore. But it, to say that I might have nodded off possibly somewhere, I, I don't think I did, but... Who knows? There's probably things I'm missing. I mean, there, I didn't even talk about the death of the basketball player, Patrick. Um, there's that that happens. Um, there's, a well, several deaths that take place that I probably didn't even mention. So this is 
me just putting out a review because I, I I have to say I love season four. I thought this was so great. It was worth the wait. It was definitely worth the wait. And I wanted to talk about it. And I thought, you know what? Episode 124 can wait one extra week. Um, because I want to talk about this now. And again, like I said, spoilers. <laughs> I was not holding them back. So if you enjoyed what you heard, you can always feel free to reach out to me, you know, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or, you know, at the email, what lurks behind podcast zero at gmail.com. But yeah, thanks for, thanks for listening. Um, we still have two more episodes. So this may end up being a part one of two in terms of reviews. Who knows? Um, Maybe you want to tell me what you think is coming next. I know I threw a few theories out there. And, you know, sp- really, really interested to see if number eight plays into this anymore. I don't think that was just a write-off character for one episode. I got a feeling she's going to make a comeback. Just don't know where. Um, so that's really where I'm really focused on that at the moment. But, hey, thank you for tuning in. And you know what? For this week, I'm going to let Al shut his fucking mouth. He's not telling me to shut up this week. I'm going to end this on my own, saying thanks for being an awesome audience. For all of you that tune in week after week, really means a lot to me. And that's that. Stranger Things Season 4, it's out there. What did you think? Started long ago.